All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help your we'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's Ruined. Oh, hi. Welcome to Ruined. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. And this is a podcast. We were in a horror movie just for you. Just for all of you. Hallie, how you doing? Any uh, horrific things happening in your world separate from the existing horrors of uh, America and the planet? <laughs> no, I would say the minor mostly of just a piece, a part of that. Um, mm-hmm. No, um, I will say a nice thing is that um, due to all this, well, I think I've talked about this before, but like all the rain in L.A., Mm-hmm. It is just so full of flowers. It's Ugh, my allergies are I horrible, but it's that. so beautiful. It's so pretty, and it's so pretty. Yeah, I want to read. I want to read something about like plant intelligence because obviously, like the plants, like it'll be like two or three weeks at a time, and then it'll switch off. Like the plants mm-hmm. are taking turns. I don't know if that's like. I don't think they have pheromones, but whatever they have, like they're obviously There's, communicating. They communicate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it was like the pomelo Ask trees. M. Night Shyamalan. I mean, if they, oh boy, we better. If they become sentient enough to realize that we're the problem, like those orcas that are attacking yachts off the coast of Europe and the Mediterranean, incredible! Thank God, please. God, we. I think this this could be something where we take actual, um, like an actual cue from them. I think we should all sit with. I'd love to be knocking over uh, more yachts in the Mediterranean that belong to multi multi millionaires and billionaires. They deserve it. Yeah, and I again, not that we're inciting um, any sort of action, but there. Someone was tweeting about this. It's like. Well, yeah, like uh, anything that anyone could really do would have to be illegal. It's just that, like, the orcos don't know about laws. Like, they don't know. Yeah. They're like, fuck these boats. Like, uh, we were yeah. constrained by, like, it's like the things to stop um, climate change. It's like, well, they're not going to be good. Like, yeah. with, with the, like I mean, unless unless the government gets on board and that doesn't seem like it's going to be possible now that— I don't trust that. I just feel like, and like, I'm not defending Democrats. You know what I mean? They're they yeah. are not doing what they need to do. However, it is difficult to govern when the other party has completely capitulated to both the most insane Christian white supremacist Christian evangelicals and also corporations. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just I, who knows how this is going to shake out, baby? You know what I mean? I, probably not good. That's what I would guess. But to cycle back. I have, and I've, I've talked about this, I think, before, but there was a treat. This is also about queerness because this is a Pride show, episode, a Pride Month episode. Yes. So I will yes. tie it to queerness. Yes. That there is a fruit tree behind my building. And oh. I'm not, I'm from Ohio. So when I see uh, something I don't know on a, a branch or a bush, I am to- I was instructed as a youth, do not eat it. If it's a berry, yes. it's going to be poisonous because they often are. Yes. 
And yeah, so yeah. I was like, I'm not gonna, I don't know. I'm, I was trying to Google it. I'm like orange little fruit. Like it's just, again, Google's broken. And then finally somebody brought in some of the little fruit to um, the office and it's a loquat, which I never oh, had before. Kumquat adjacent? Yes. It is basically a kumquat, but instead yeah. of like, you know, the kumquat, kumquat has like a kind of more of like an orange type of skin. Yeah. And then it's like sour inside, sweet skin, delicious. This is like a little apricot with a, with oh. three big seeds in the middle, a little apricot with a with sort of like across the skin that's across between a plum and a pear. So like the skin is thicker, but okay. it's not a kumquat but skin. But it's not like a rind. No. In that way. And the flesh okay. and the taste is similar to an apricot. And they're so good that every day I walk outside of my way to work and I pick a fresh loquat off of the tree and I eat ah. it. Like, Gorgeous. I'm a fucking queen, and I do think this ties to queerness because it is, like, I saw a bush, and I'm like, well, I, as far as I know, based on my, all this information I have, th- those are probably poisonous. I'm not even going to deal with that. Yeah. And now that I know, somebody just said to me, hey, just so you know, these aren't poisonous. And now every day I'm like, not only are these not poisonous, I'm going to learn to bake with these. I'm going to bring yes. a bunch into the office because they're just falling on the ground. The squirrels are eating them. I was like, There's I could like do a, a lot with this. fruit for a, a, a galette. A galette. A tart. A tartine, baby, you know? Um, so I think there's something, something about that that I've been thinking about is like, you know, I don't like a spring is happening. It's like the, the, the endless possibilities, um, in front of us, even in a world filled with horror that the orcas are doing their best to defend. We love um, the orcas. And I think that's really nice. And if anyone ever sees loquats, get some, they're delicious. And, um, Allison, uh, how you doing? You got anything, you got anything horrific or alternately something real lovely going on with you? I do have something horrific. Okay, lay down. I have an ant problem. I'm so sorry. I, a couple weeks ago, um, did all, I have a terrace and I did all of my like planting because I have like a bunch of big pots and so I did flowers and a couple of them and then this big like really cool like green leafy plant that apparently like flowers in the fall, which I'm very excited to see because I don't feel like we see that. It's just kind of like mums. Um, but I think that that plant had some ants living in it, and they're on the terrace, and they've been getting in um, because I think there's like just a, a a hole or a space in between um, the wall. They're somewhere. so tiny. I mean, like they're it could so be small. anything. It could be like, any gap like, anywhere under any door. This building was built poorly. Like yeah. I can see every all the time. I'm always like, oh, this is just not straight. Um, and it's a huge building. And I'm like, you just didn't even check. Um, the problem is like Riz is supposed to be a bit of a hunter and he's caught and eaten flies, but the ants, he just sits and watches them walk around. And I'm like, can you participate here? Like I, that's kind of your thing. Yeah. And I and I'm like and I know you see that it's not like he doesn't see them he sees them he's watching them he it looks just has no like, meaning yeah and so every once in a while he'll kind of like get a paw close to them and I'm like just kill it eat it yeah. lick it it'll it'll go right down like I just don't know why you're not doing your job because you don't pay rent I guess it, maybe if they were bigger not that I wish bigger ants on you by any stretch of the right. imagination no but I agree. I do think that it's like their smallness makes him kind he's of like not, I don't even know what the fuck he's that like, is what do I do with this yeah. you know whereas like the fly I was like oh that was like crunch crunch um, so, I'm so you know, sorry I'm dealing it, with the ants I don't I'm I'm like, I looked up some natural remedies and like vinegar or like citrus oils um, are supposed to deter them so I'm gonna give that a whirl I'm gonna go back to my plant store and be like. 
that plant had ants in it, so now I need you to tell me what to do about it. Do you remember when you took your cactus, your dead cactus back, and you threw it against the door of the, um... Yeah, this is a different plant store. I would oh, never okay. go back to No, no, it no, in. fuck them, yeah. No, I but, hate, um, um, they found out that I do that joke in the show, and they hate me now. And I'm like, well, you're a terrible company, so I don't care. Yeah, I, I used to tell a bit about <clears throat> how I got scanned by Cohen's Optical in New York. And I swear to God, I I keep trying to like unsign up. I keep getting texts from them. It's like, I didn't get texts for like five years after I went the one time I went. And I was like, why would I, why did this begin now? Why would I come back to you now? Like, what do you think is going to happen? But um, uh, I'm very sorry about that because ants are hard to get rid of. Yeah, I I know there's, I just like, I just want to start natural just because with, you know, Riz in the picture, I don't want to be like just covering things in chemicals if I can avoid it. Um, poof. Well, Godspeed to you. Um, yep, it, it's a I'm journey. Sure it'll, I'm sure it'll all work out in the end. It'll all be fine. It'll um, all be fine. And before we get, begin, we just want to remind, remind, to remind everybody, uh, as we have uh, throughout the month, that we are taking part in uh, Crooked Media's uh, fundraiser. It's called Fuck Bands, Leave Queer Kids Alone. And it is specifically to raise money to support organizations advocating for trans freedoms, um, specifically in states you know, unfortunately, mostly red states yes. where yeah. this just this fucking constant onslaught of LGBT, anti-LGBTQ um, legislation and how much of, so much of it being anti-trans. Um, we were raising money amongst them with them. And also you can donate money right now and also find out more about it um, at votesaveamerica.com slash fuck bans. Um, so you can find out uh what you're donating to, you have sort of two options. Uh, either you could donate to nonprofits who are doing work, or you could donate to potentially um, have money go to candidates or more political yes. um, organizations in those states. Um, but yeah, this is a company-wide effort that we're really excited to be a part of. Um, yeah. our, uh, our All of our profits from our live show and the merch we sold this month also went to fuck bands. Um, this is also something like it's going to be ongoing. It's just like they're doing a yeah. push. Like you're going to always be right. able to go to this website and donate yes. if you want to. But we just want to, you know, you know, this is uh, a cry. Ooh, this is something that means a lot to us. Yes. And I think, unfortunately, as we talked about this, like this does not just go away. Like I, if no. only, you know what I mean? This is the kind of thing where we do have to pay attention to every piece of legislation. We have to read about fucking Ron DeSantis every fucking day. Jesus Christ. Because if we don't, then they, they, then they keep it moving. Right. Like they, like so right. we, either we keep it moving or they keep it moving. You know right. what I mean? They're just steamrolling things anyway. So we need to be aware. We need to be supportive, participate. And um, especially for the young people, the queer and trans young people out there that are having their lives completely upended. And it's so sad. So, you know, donate now, um, participate now, but also, you know, we're moving towards election season this fall. You know, the fight doesn't end. Yeah. And Vote to America does a lot of great work. If you haven't, you know, if you've been interested in being like, what could I do? Or, you know, what, what candidates are in my area? You could look by um, state as well. So feel free to check out that website. They have a lot of great resources. Uh, and yeah, and and fuck them, I guess is the them. conclusion of it. Fuck bands. And with that, this is our last movie of Pride Month. And we are, uh, it's a famous one. Again, if you are interested in queer horror at all, it is, of course, The Hunger Mm. Um, which is our, our uh, bisexually focused uh, movie Ooh. of the uh, of the month, 
And there should be more, obviously. I love that. But this is from 1983, and it is uh, Tony Scott's directorial debut, which I did not realize. And it stars uh, Catherine Deneuve. Deneuve? Catherine Deneuve. I'm trying. I I apologize to the French. Catherine Deneuve. (laughs) David Bowie and Susan Sarandon. It also has a small role by um, uh, Dan Hedaya, who will always be— uh, Cher Horowitz's dad in Clueless to me. Yes, so I just that uh, actor. Yeah. He's such a character actor who's been in so many things and he is talented, but he is Cher Horowitz's dad, the lawyer through and through. Um, and so we wanted to kick things off. Um, we always have Allison watch the trailer. Allison, what are your thoughts about the trailer for The Hunger? I mean, hard to parse through what the plot exactly is, uh-huh. but Fair very enough. sexy. Oh, it's very sexy. Very sexy. Um, we also like to take a baseline scary. How scary do you find the concept of bisexuality, Allison? <laughs> what if I was like terrifying? <laughs> Some people do. I think historically that's kind of what this, I think that this is what both what people I think have maybe have an issue with this movie about and also love this movie because it is playing with that idea, but we'll, we'll get into it. But yes, Allison, are you afraid of bisexuals? Let's have it out. Not at all. I mean, I think there are bisexual individuals I'm afraid of. No. Um, sure, absolutely. <laughs> but bisexuality, absolutely. And I, like, um, I, there's um, a writer and friend of mine I follow um, on Twitter. You know Lux Alptrum? Yes, yeah. Yeah, she talks a lot. Uh, she's a bi woman, and she talks a lot about how there's so much erasure um, of bi people, and I think especially bi women and, and kind of... Um, She's a great follow on Twitter. I'm going to do a terrible job paraphrasing the important points that she makes about um, about bisexual people. But um, yeah, yeah, not scary. <laughs> at yeah, all. it's interesting. I feel like um, there is, uh, you know, how do I put this? There, like the first of all, like by, by the most queer people are bisexual, or I would say maybe pansexual now that, like, bisexual is sort of, like, the beginning of that concept, the idea that, like, you shouldn't have to be, limit your attraction by gender. To one. Um, So it's sort of, like, it's interesting to have, like, a group of people who I think are the majority of the LGBTQ community, but um, just because you, you know, I mean, imagine a lot of bisexual people end up in heterosexual relationships, then mm-hmm. it is sort of like, how do you express your queerness? And like, yes. how do you have a recognize? And I do feel like people are kind of down on a bisexual sometimes, which I don't understand where it's like, yeah. you know, this is all just like part of being alive. Yeah, like a lot. And it feels we- very of, I, I think of, of all, of all of the, you know, sexualities that we identify. I, I feel like it's the most policed. Yes, um, I agree. Within the community of like, well, that doesn't, and even like I hear, you know, there are, you know, entertainers and performers and comedians who are bisexual. And like, I can hear sometimes people be like, I mean, but she's with a guy, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, okay. Yeah. But that's kind of the definition of what we're talking about. Exactly. And like, I, the, yeah. that is a possibility and that is a relationship option. Like, I just don't, it yeah. does feel, um, I mean, what's scary about it is the way that people talk about it often in pop culture. But um, I find nothing scary about bisexuality. Yeah, I agree. It feels very retrograde. And it does kind of like, you know, like we're, you know, women of a certain age. And there's Mm -hmm. definitely this idea when we were younger. And I don't, like, I don't think younger, people younger than us think this way. So maybe it's just like us Mm -hmm. and older people. But there really was this idea that like, if you're a bisexual man, you're really gay. 
and yes. you, that that's not really real. And if you're a bisexual woman, you're really straight. That's not really yeah. real. And you know, yeah. it's interesting if you notice that it does in both the situations. It has to be about men. Boy, you know, that's just yeah. interesting for wow. us to think, sit and think about how mm-hmm. that always works. It but, always um, comes back to men. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to admit something that I do think this is my own internalized biphobia. But I want to be clear. I recognized it, and then I, you know, like sat with okay. it and thought about it. And it was that I had like a friend. Her younger brother was dating a guy for the first time. I was like, oh, okay, great. You know, who he's queer. You know, who knows where he's at with that, whatever. And then he met a woman and she was dating a woman and both of them broke up with their partners and started dating each other. So they're a straight couple. And literally I had an emotional reaction. I'm like, no. And they were both dating um, people of the same sex and now they're dating. Now they're in opposite sex. Which is a heterosexual relationship. And I was like, no, you can only go the other way. And I was like, that's silly. That's not what it is. But that is, I think, like a 90s idea of what bisexuality is. We're like, yeah, it's I think also- not real or something. And like, but I, and so I, I only acknowledge that to be like, as soon as I thought that, I'm like, well, that's not true. What am I talking yeah. about? But it, there is no, something there, you know? Us and our youth absolutely had kind of those. And I think it's like, I think people are afraid of the lack of rules. Yeah. Yeah. More than what actually is happening in right. a bisexual person's relationship history. Like, I think it's like, but you can't like everyone. Right. And it's like, like well, first of all. There is the kind of like, yeah. uh-oh. You know, I think that that is probably mm-hmm. what is scary to people. Yeah, and I think that that is Even though like, it's not scary and feels great. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it is a um, holdover. It's like, unfortunately, you do see queer people, and I think less and less. Like, I, I, I think about the queer people I younger than me that I work with, and I'm like, I don't think that they're thinking about this in any way. Like, I mean, no. they, I'm not, not that everything is like roses and sunshine, but like, I think they have a very different perspective on it. Yeah. And I think that like, that, that desire to police is from being, everyone being raised to have straight heterosexual relationships. Yeah. And so, even when you're queer, like, I am queer, and I don't I don't logically think that that makes any sense to stigmatize a bisexual person. In that moment, I had within me that like, well, no, but you can only go the one way. And it's it's like, but it's like, like I, I think it's like we all have to sit with ourselves and sort of realize when you have that reaction, they're like, oh, well, you could sit with that and sort of, you know, parse Where's that, that out. Where's that coming from and what really from? caused that versus like yeah. that it's right or anything like that because it obviously is not, so. And and I think this movie, um, you know, I think we sort of try to be thoughtful about um, sort of villainous queers. It's hard because it's like mm-hmm. queer as vil- queers as villains but also queers as victims. Mm-hmm. It's like, Maybe this is a horror movie podcast. You know, like this yeah, is right. tough to uh, get around that. Yeah. And this- we don't get a lot of characters coming through here who are just like, <laughs> well, I'm an accountant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. neutral in all of this. <laughs> I'm an accountant, I'm a bisexual, and it's all going to work out for me. Also, I'm a giant slug or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, I think to your point, yeah, like bisexuals, like, uh, summon a lot of sexual anxiety in people. And I think in, in that situation, I, I definitely had that, which is absurd. Because it's like how long I dated men. Like I, like the idea that I can't wrap my mind around it is <laughs> insane. But I think it's it's good for us to, you know, for everybody to sit with the things, the reactions, we, emotional reactions we have and be like, is this actually real? Is this based on something that like I would ever should or should ever be concerned about? Or is this a holdover? Because I think we are at a very important time with regards to... LGBTQ uh, existence in society mm-hmm. and uh, thinking about things differently. And you can see that in the way, like, 
all the anti-trans sentiment is relies on a discomfort mm-hmm. with the idea of, of being trans or transition. And you could sort of capitalize on that because people don't want to examine that like because they don't want to examine gender right. a- and at all. And I think um, we are hopefully going to enter a time where, I don't know, it's like if they're not thinking about it, we all have to be thinking about yes. it. And it's like part of it's like thinking about the fundamental truth, which is like, it, it, there is, there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's. There's no wrong way to have consensual sex yeah. with another adult. Absolutely. Or, or like, it, like that is the that is the fallacy behind all homophobia. And then you know, with regards to trans people and and non-binary people, like there's nothing wrong with examining your gender. Yeah. Like there's no wrong way to have a gender, and that includes being trans. So I think this is like I don't know. I just think like we're at an important time to think about our reactions to things and the things that we do find scary and sitting with them and being like, well, what is this based on reality? Because right. I know a bunch of bisexuals. I think they're yep. great. So um, <laughs> extremely pro-bisexual podcast yes. here. And um, with on that note, we will <laughs> start doing the movie finally. <laughs> Allison, would you, before you get started, would you like to guess the twist in The Hunger? Guess the twist. I mean, I'll say there is, like, not a lot to hold Mm. on to in the trailer. It's more a vibe, Mm -hmm. um, and a fun vibe, but it's not—it's hard to know exactly what we're getting into. Can you give me, like, an idea of, like, what genre Um, is this? I would say this is, like, an erotic thriller— they're they're vampires. They're vampires. They they never use the word vampire, but that's what it is. They are okay. Yes. I'm gonna guess. Um, is there a twist? Is there a traditional twist? I mean, it's so hard to say. No, I would okay, say no. It. I would no. say there's not. Um, yeah, but what do you think happens regardless of that? I'm gonna guess that ultimately the vampires um, infect everybody, and everybody Ooh. is. A vampire, okay, what I assume is a bisexual person. Okay, great. Um, Excellent guess. Let us begin ruining the hunger. Um, There's also, like, we start out in, like, what to me is now the signature um, concept of vampirism, which is, like, very, very thin, white, androgynous, hot people in the yes. 80s. Like, yes. we have, I'm like, we got to get some other vampires out here. Like, the, the, we can't yeah. just have these, these the five More kind vampiric of representation. Exactly. And we open on, like, a club, like, a, like you know, and it's like, it's the 80s. Everyone I mean, has. They love clubs. Oh, I, absolutely. And who doesn't, you know? I mean. Um. There's, You're up at night anyway. Go out. We're watching. Um. That's a really great point. Vamp- the vampires <laughs> are always out all night. Um, they're party animals. They're at a club. There's, there's a show, uh, song being performed by Bauhaus, and it is their song "Bella Lugosi's Dead." And I love when a real band plays at a movie. That's really fine. I, I love that shit. I, I don't know what it is about it. It's like we exist. It's These real people exist in this vampire movie. Yes. Um. So we see our main vampire couple. Uh, it's Miriam Blaylock, played by Catherine Deneuve, and her partner John, played by David fucking Bowie. Mm-hmm. And they both have sunglasses on in the club, which I just took Ugh. to be like, because it's the 80s. I'm like, it must be that like we are doing coke or we have coke. Yes. But it's what a great look. I love the idea I mean, of sunglasses. It's a great look. And so they're kind of making eyes at this other couple because they're looking, you know, to have the devil's foursome, but not mm-hmm. like not like in the way. Do you, do you know the concept of the devil's threesome? Yeah, right. Two men, Two one men, woman. Again, how dare you? That like I, how I don't know who invented that, but it's like 
objectionable, but they want to have what seems yes. to be more of like an actual devil's force. Like devil, like yeah, we're gonna fucking satanic. get into it. Yeah, yeah. And so you see this couple dancing. The couple sees them. If you see Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie in a club and they're trying to pick up you and your boyfriend, well, maybe you're getting in that car. Like, I there's mean, no way, you know, you would, no way like, you would Even if they were like, also, we're vampires, I'd be like, all right, I'll still go. Like, oh, <laughs> hey, what else was I doing? Not getting killed by David Bowie? Come on. I'm in a club. You've got cocaine. Let's do this. So they drive home to their, like, incredible, beautiful, sickening, like, well, it looks like a brownstone, basically, like, multi-level mm-hmm. apartment, you know. And the woman's there. She, they're drinking. The woman's dancing for them. And David Bowie says, oh, there's no ice. So then David Bowie and the woman end up in the kitchen. They start hooking up. Like, he's sort of starting to seduce her. And Catherine Deneuve has um, the man, uh, the male member of the uh, couple on couple. the couch. And she tears his shirt off. And I'm sorry, I need, I will stop calling them David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve here in a minute. Because I realize if I, if I don't start calling by their, their character names, I never will. Um, so, uh, John sort of pulls the woman's top down and it's sort of like just starting to tongue her down. And just when things are starting to get good, Allison, a monkey leaps across the screen. A monkey? A a, a rhesus monkey leaps screaming across the screen in slow motion. They were really in in the 80s. So many monkeys in the 80s. There were so many monkeys around in the 80s into the 90s even. And I wasn't scared, but I was mad. Because I'm like, we're having this sex scene, and now there's a we're monkey. Having fun. Don't make me see a monkey in the middle of a sex scene. No. But they're committed to the monkey, so like we're cutting between, um, we're cutting between Miriam straddling this guy, and they're starting to have sex, and then David Bowie's like starting to go down on this woman on the kitchen counter, and then there's just a fucking monkey screaming in between. I'm like, all right, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. In, in separate rooms, but simultaneously, at a certain point, John and Miriam reach up, and they both have a necklace with an onk on it. Okay. And they take off the onk, pull it off, and inside is a tiny dagger. And as we watch this monkey that we've been seeing screaming tear apart another monkey, we also see John and Miriam slash their respective victims' throats and start drinking their hot, steamy blood, Allison. Wait, are those people dead now? Those people are dead now. Okay. And that's the and other where do thing. the monkeys come from? We'll find out in just one minute. Okay. But I agree, because the monkeys are like, well, I don't know what we're doing with this. But unfortunately, <laughs> um, these people are dead. Uh, John and Miriam have fed on them. And we see John washing himself in the bath as dawn breaks over New York City. Back at Monker, Monkey Murder Palace, we Great. see that there is, there's a scientist watching and screaming, no, no, which again is, I'm not a scientist. That's not, it's not going to work. The monkey no. doesn't know what you're talking about. They're not like, oh, sorry. I thought you wanted me to do this. <laughs> oh, this is so <laughs> I thought you wanted me to, like, scream and tear apart another animal. But, like, no, you're My right. Bad. Sorry. I'm going to go back to the desk. Um, we see the scientist bring over her boss, Dr. Sarah Sarah Roberts, played by the incredible Susan Sarandon. And Susan, Sarah, Dr. Sarah goes, Jesus Christ. And she's a researcher in the field of, why did a monkey do that? No, she did it in, she's in the field of gerontology. So the field of aging, Allison. Okay. okay. Um, also, she's at the top of her field at Monkeys Hating Foursomes University. Um, so we see John and Miriam go into their basement, and they have a uh, essentially a crematorium under their house. And they, I mean, you'd have to if this is your game. Exactly. And we find out at some point they have to feed once a week. That's so many bodies. Oh, God. 
and they don't like split one person because I thought when they saw this couple, oh, they're going to take either the man or the woman home. Right. Two. They each have to have one. Wow. That's one hundred and four so people gotta a year. You got to be picking up couples. You have to be David Every Bowie. Week? You have to be David Bowie and Catherine Graham. What happened yeah. if you're not? What if you're just a regular schlub? I guess you're not eating. Damn. Yeah, to be an... Uh, that's why vampires have to be hot, because if you're not hot, how do you get people to come home with how you? How do you get people to come home with you? You know, and everyone's hot in their own way, but I mean, in the way that you can get 142 people to go with you, even you though... You have to be David Bowie and on. Catherine Disney. Yeah, let's be realistic here. So they wrap the bodies in garbage bags, and they throw them in the heat. We get this really great, gnarly shot of, like, the heat shrink-wrapping against one of the faces, which I loved. Yuck. Later, they're taking a shower, and John asks Miriam, which is something that he must ask her all the time. He says, forever... And she says, yes, forever. They're going to be together forever. And then we see one of their butts. And the societal expectations for buns have changed so drastically. Yeah. And for the better, I think. But, yes. but back then, I couldn't tell you who's... I'm assuming it's David Buddy Bowie's because his buns looked like two unused tea bags. And I was like, wow, you just don't see butts like this anymore. No, you don't. I'll tell you. like That's an 80s butt. And not that David Bowie has to get a BBL. I don't know if you could get one of those in heaven. <laughs> but it's just interesting where it's like the white thinness was the beauty standard yes. in a way that like, not that, things, not that things are better now, like you have, the expectation right. is still so extreme. But like, there's a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah. But, of course, the vampires sleep during the day, but John cannot sleep, Allison. And he keeps thinking about a scene from his past, and we find out where he sort of was made a vampire in 18th century France. So we're, got, we're seeing powdered wigs. Sexy. And we're seeing him playing it. So we see him playing a cello in his, like, little short pants and his powdered wig. And they never say the word vampires, but we know they're vampires for three reasons. One, they wore sunglasses in the club. Yes. Two, they're little teeny tiny white buns. And then three... Monkeys hate them. So that's enough. And that's what we know about that's vampires. That's what we know about vampires. Over at the Research Institute, Dr. Sarah and her team are trying to figure out, like, why did this monkey go insane? Why would he tear apart and eat his cage mate, who he'd always apparently had a very cordial relationship with? Right. Allison, do you think if you lived in a cage at a research facility, do you think you'd have a cordial relationship with your cage mate? I think you would either have to be a team or I would murder it. Ooh. Like that, like it's like best friends or mortal enemies. Those are the options. Yeah. I think eventually I would, we would fall in love just because there'd be nothing else. We would just have to, in order to survive. Exactly. Right. And it's like, then it's like you kill them and it's like, well, now I'm alone. We find out, Allison, that the monkey had not slept in 56 hours. And apparently that it, it had entered a manic state at this point. I mean. And, it, and that's. I would. Yeah. Um, we also, we keep coming to John sort of reminiscing about meeting Miriam, like the beginning of their eternal relationship. And we see Miriam watching a TV interview with Dr. Sarah, who's on the local news. This is like, it's supposed to be in New York, obviously. And so she's been studying progeria, which I feel like is all over the news for a little while. Do you remember that? Yeah. What is it again? It's, it's like little... Yeah, it's young people who look old, or is it old people who are small? They are young people mm. who are None old. So it's right. basically no. I mean, you're circling the drain. I feel like you're I, almost I, there. I can like I can see like the 2020 story, like yeah, but I don't remember the mechanics of the disease. So it is described as basically. So here we go. It's a um, progeroid syndrome. Of, of which there are apparently several. It's a gene caused by a gene mutation. They are a group of diseases that causes individuals to age faster than usual, leading them to appear older than they usually are. Um, and I remember when this sort of like people were studying this, it was sort of 
a conversation about the body, the body's natural clock. Like, how does it age? Mm-hmm. And what can we do to interfere with it? Which is sort of what the movie is getting at here. The main focus of our work at Park West is to try to reverse this process and actually slow down this internal clock. Uh, Dr. Sarah has just written this book called Sleeping Longevity, where basically she says, in order to like to live as long as possible, you have to get good sleep. Meanwhile, we just saw well, John is unable to sleep. And as yeah. a vampire, that's going to cause a real problem, right? I would imagine. So the host uh, asked her, like, well, is there any way we could use this to, like, call, like create uh, immortality? And she's like, bitch, I, I don't know. Like, that's not why I'm here. Right. No, I can't make it someone immortal. I'm just saying, like, it's interesting and we have all this great research on it. But Miriam is really intrigued by her as a vampire, obviously. The concept of sort of hijacking the or hacking rather the uh human biological clock how 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 do you do okay. it okay meanwhile uh she and John are musicians and they've been at it for a couple centuries so in order to make money they uh teach music lessons and we, they see one of her students okay. Alice who i guess i would say she's like an eighth grade maybe uh she okay. stops by for violin lessons that John is giving her while Miriam plays piano to accompany them and John has to stop and go excuse himself and Alice asks Miriam, like, what is that guy's problem? And Miriam says, he, John hasn't been sleeping. And mm-hmm. Alice offers them quaaludes. And Miriam says, oh, why ladies. do you have quaaludes? And she's like, oh, I sold them for my aunt's purse. Don't worry. She's never going to notice. Different times, Allison. Different times. Allison, we see John in the bathroom. And despite being a vampire, he looks in the mirror and he is, and I, God, I hate to even say it, Allison. He's getting older. The worst no. thing imaginable. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, um, we see Miriam later go to, I'm assuming, the Strand to get a copy of Dr. Sarah's book because she's having a yes. signing. And Miriam's wearing, like, an incredible um, skirt suit, like a white skirt suit with a black hat with a black veil with white seed pearls on yes. it. It looks fucking yes. incredible. It's in the trailer. It's and so it's so good. Um, and Miriam starts to talk to Sarah. She's like, I'd love to talk to you. And Sarah's being like, hubba hubba. You know, she's like, oh, I'd, I'd also like to have a conversation with you. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's all these people who want these books and they get interrupted. And um, Miriam ends up leaving and then later going to Sarah's research facility and meets with one of her colleagues, Dr. Humphreys. So basically, inter- says, basically, I want to interview you about your research. And okay. Dr. Humphrey's like, well, if my if Sarah, if Dr. Sarah's getting all the attention, then I I'm all, I'm gonna do an interview, you know. And so he says, we basically find out that all the, the things that are connected are blood, like blood type, of course, you know, really ele- any elements of the blood that they're intimately attached to sleep, which is the key part of aging. So we're we're setting this up. This makes sense to us. We're all vampires, you know. Unfortunately. Back at home, John is deteriorating and aging very rapidly. And he says to Miriam, how long did this take the others? And she says, um, I don't remember. It was a week, maybe, or a couple of days. Oh, no. And she says, now, how long did uh, Lolia take? And this is where the bisexuality is introduced. And I, I, I don't want to say, like, I think someone else could watch this and maybe if, they, if I'm not bisexual, like, maybe they would feel a certain way about the depiction mm-hmm. of a vampire is bisexual. As someone who loves horror, I personally love it. I, you know, right. But also, I think it is introduced in a way where, like, it, no one makes any big deal about it. It is not like they did that. Yeah, he, yeah. he knows that she had a female lover. Uh, she will once again take a female lover later in the movie. Yes. No one acts like this is no one is homophobic about it. No, none of the vampires like, care. These like, are the relationships. Yeah. So I do think it's like that is frankly more realistic. Where it's like he yeah. knows this is not. 
you know, we got bigger fish to fry than our vampire, vampire bisexuality, you know. But you're saying, like, well, how long did your last lover take? And she said, you know, about a week or so. Because she could feed, but she couldn't sleep. So you keep feeding as a vampire to replenish you, but if you can't sleep, it doesn't matter. There's not enough, yeah. And then she said that, she says, and that was true of the one before that and the one before that. So this keeps happening, right? So To her partners. To her partners. So she— But not to—he hasn't had partners that have— she turned him. So she is She is basically his partner. She oh. turned him to make him into one of her companions. In the 18th century. In the 18th century. So he's been around, yeah, for 200 years. But um, now he's falling apart. Okay. And John reaches up. Well, he had a good run. I know, but here's the problem, Allison. And I do think this is genuinely a scary idea. Because he's pulling out handfuls of hair. And he says, have you thought about who will keep you company when I'm gone? Who will it be? Will it be Alice? The little, like, the girl, and she's like, no. Like, what are you talking about? And he screams, okay. Miriam, what am I going to do? And he picks up Dr. Sarah's book, and he hurls it against the wall, shattering a picture frame. And next day, we see John, who is inspired by this book by Dr. Sarah, go to, uh, and he has, like, a black fedora, sunglasses on, black trench, looks yes. incredible. I mean, in- incredible. Goes to um, the Sarah's research facility, and because he's a vampire, just sort of makes it all the way to her office, even though there was security. He just gets in. Yeah. And he says, do you really think that aging is a disease we can cure? And he said, she says, I mean, not yet, but yes. It seems like we could address aging like we address disease. Like, we we can manage it and, and stop it, mm-hmm. um, even if you can't prevent it, prevent it entirely. And he says, yesterday I was 30 years old, and today I have liver spots in my hands. And he shows her. He says, and she immediately thinks, okay, so this guy's crazy. So how yeah. about you wait here? I'll be back for 15 minutes. She has him wait in the waiting room. And she says, again, 15. As soon as he relaxes, she, like, walks down the hall and calls security to say, okay, another fucking nut job got into the building. And he's harassing me, so just keep an eye on him. Usually I took put him in the waiting room, and usually they just get bored and they leave eventually. Um, meanwhile, Dr. Sarah goes down and she and her team are studying the rhesus monkey, which has just entered his 70th hour of being awake. Oh, and this poor monkey. I know. So he's starting to break down physically. Because at first I was like, oh, they don't know why he's not sleeping. I'm like, oh, no, I think they're making it, stopping him from sleeping, which oh, I think no. is wrong. That's wrong. Allison, it's That's wrong. wrong. Never, never stop a monkey from sleeping. It's morally yes. wrong. Yes. Um... And they're like, oh, he's, he's looking real bad. And as they watch, the monkey collapses and dies. No. But here's the monkey. thing, Allison. In the waiting room, we see David take off his hat and his hair is just falling out. John is also rapidly aging. But because he's a vampire, he cannot die. So what, is that, oh what does that entail? Finally, he gets up to leave, and he's obviously really upset. Also, he looks so much older. Like I'm like, did the nurse's desk not notice that he looks like this right. now? Right. But Dr. Sarah goes to Tom, who was her colleague slash live-in lover, and says, I need you to show the execs these videos. We need more funding. I really feel like we got something here. And he's like, I don't know, man. You have a monkey dying. I don't know if it's going to really cut it. But she kisses him, and he says, I will do my absolute best to get you the funding. As she happens to walk out just as John is exiting, he's now an old man with white hair. Oh, my God. And he goes to the men's room, and he sees a man changing his shirt, and he reaches for his aunt because he's going to kill this man and feed, even though it's the middle of the fucking day in a research lab. Right. But somebody walks in right at that moment, so he puts it away. So then he ends up taking the elevator. He can hear everyone's heartbeat. He just wants to, you know, sink his teeth in their veins. 
And he exits the elevator just as Dr. Sarah walks by. And he chides her. He's like, oh, you told me you're coming back 15 minutes. I've been here two hours. And she's like, sir, you have aged 40 years. And he's like, bitch, I know. That's why I'm here. But he's so mad. He storms out. And he almost gets hit by a car. And but it is, and she chases him, but she can't catch up with him. So I don't know if this gets worked out or if this is more just uh, death becomes her. But like, if they if he can't die, mm-hmm. okay, aging is one thing. But like, would injuries well like not take? Well, that's a great question, and the answer is I don't. I'm like, not sure. If he sure. got hit by a car, what what would happen? This is the problem with vampire movies: is that you really, unfortunately, you do have to set up a very strict, yeah. or you set up a strict set of rules, but then you that kind of limits you in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it sure seems like um, injury does kill you in a sense, but also okay. not. So okay, we'll get into that. So okay. So <laughs> now we're suddenly in a tunnel in Central Park. Or it looks like one of those tunnels. And there's yeah, a yeah. guy dancing by himself to a boombox on roller skates. And Amazing. John appears out of nowhere and tries to slash the guy's neck. But because he's much younger and stronger and on fucking roller skates, he's able to get out of John's grasp. And the cut doesn't go deep <gasps> enough to kill him. And John has to run away. Next day, um, Miriam is out, and Alice, their students, stops by to say, hey, could you tell Miriam I can't come to my class the next day? I have something for school. And John buzzes her in. And you know it ain't going to be good. Oh, no. And Alice doesn't recognize John. She's known John forever, you know, or two years, whatever. But yeah. he now looks 85, so he's like, oh, who are you? And he says, I'm a friend of um, the Blaylocks. I'm just visiting. She says, oh, are you John's father? You have the exact same eyes. You look just like him. And he says, nope, I'm just a friend. And she says, okay, well, I'm going to leave Miriam a note. And um, she has like a, her, She said her dad gave her a, got bought her a Polaroid when he was in Hong Kong. So she's taking uh-huh. photos of like all her statues. And we see, unfortunately, okay. she she took a photo of John like the week before. And she, he looks 30, you know. Oh, he can get photographed? He can get photographed. I don't know how they do in mirrors. Can they use mirrors? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I think they can, though. I think that, yeah, no, you're right. When he's in the bathroom and he's about to stab oh, right, that guy. in the mirror. Yeah, he yeah. can see there. So, again, the rules in this case, a little different. Yeah. And But, you know, he's, I guess he's like, hey, would you mind playing me something on your violin? Oh, my God. And I said, violins are vampires. That seems right. Yeah. And unfortunately, Allison, as she plays, John comes up behind her and takes off the onk. And he forgives, he grabs her from behind. He says, forgive me. And he slashes her neck. And her blood soaks the sheet music. Mm. And he feeds on her. Miriam arrives home later and calls for John. And he's just sitting slumped in the piano room. And he's like, don't you remember what you told me? You told me I'd never grow old. She says, stop it. But she did. She lied to him. She said, I said that we'd love. Is he. Go ahead. Like, does does feeding stop the aging process or does it reverse it? It doesn't stop. It doesn't do anything. Like, you still stay alive, but your body continues to age and break down. Okay, so he's aging now, moving forward from 85. Yes. Okay. And, and, and also, she made it seem like I'll never grow old. It's like, well, technically you'll never die, but you will grow old. Right. Does that make sense? And he stands and he asks her for a kiss. He goes, kiss me. Hmm. Think of me as I was. And she obliges him. And we see their first kiss back in good old 18th century France. And Miriam's sobbing. And he says, give me, can you give me a little longer? And she's like, I can't. I can't give you, I can't do it. I wish I could. And he says, then kill me. Release me. 
Allison, what would you do? What would you do? I mean, I think I'd find a way to kill him. Yeah, me too. That wouldn't, you know, implicate me criminally or anything like that. Yeah, I don't see how, what the other option is. Yeah, like, to keep someone, like, technically alive around you. Also, like, it's not like you guys can go clubbing together anymore. Right, yeah, like, you're, like, no offense. kind of done. Yeah, like, your social capital kind of drops when it's a hot woman and then a man who looks like the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Trying not that to there aren't up. a ton of those couples walking around. hey oh No, but mm. let's be honest here. Al Pacino. Um, oh, yeah. Boy. I just don't get that. I, I don't know. I That's... Do you want to be like, around and know your kid? Want? Yeah, like... Like, I don't... Like, I understand some, some the women. Yeah. Like, being like, I want a baby. There's money here. Like, not money, but like... By money. To sustain a family, like, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, I just as don't opposed get to doing it. it by yourself without a partner. But like, boy, couldn't be yuck. me. I mean, literally, physically, I couldn't do it. But also, yeah, couldn't no. be me. Um, I agree. You gotta yeah, kill, I'd him. kill him. I'd kill him. That's the nice thing to do. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. Here's the thing. Miriam refuses. So then I was like, can you kill yourself as a vampire? Right. Because in some movies, yes, but no one ever addresses that in this movie. So I have mm-hmm. to assume that he wouldn't consider that because it's not an option. Yeah. But then, of course, Allison, right. she looks down and she sees, because Allison's body is nowhere to be seen, but she sees that a Polaroid from Alice's camera and she realizes that Alice's, Alice was just there. Mm-hmm. And he says, John, what did you do? And she, they go into the basement and, of course, he has, he has killed Allison and has burned her body. Yeah. And he says again to Miriam, kill me, release me. And she says, you don't understand. And he collapses down the stairs and she picks him up and says, I literally can't. There's no release, my darling. There is no rest. There is no letting go. What? So even I think even if she were to burn him, dismember him, kill him, he, some part of him, he would remain alive in a sense. But like if he doesn't feed anymore... This is what she says, and we have to just take it with a grain of salt. Is, yeah, but it's like, look, we don't make the rules. We, we If only we did, but— If only. Miriam carries—you know, and now he's like a little old man, you know, so she's carrying John upstairs. She says, Humankind have one way, we another. Their end is final, ours is not. Even if you were to bury us in the internal darkness, we can still see, hear, and feel. They literally cannot die. I'm like, that's fucking— Horrifying. That sucks. I don't want to do that. That, I'm going to say it, sucks. Sucks. Allison, she takes him up to the attic, which is like open, like to the to the air. So it's full of like billowing gray curtains. And Allison, it is full of pigeons. Ugh. And sure, some people might call them doves. 
They're all the no, same. Pigeons I would and doves. Not. Doves are just pigeons with a die job. Like they are yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah. Allison, she takes John and she puts him in an empty coffin and she pushes him next to all the other coffins of her past lovers, Allison. And she puts her hand on the one next to John, says, Lolia, this is John. Comfort him. Be kind to him tonight, all of you. So basically, so they're all alive. They're all alive in there. And they're all like That's desiccated death. mummies, but they are alive. But they're alive. Ding dong. The doorbell rings, Allison. Just in time. It's Dr. Sarah. And she's like, hey, I'm so sorry. Um, I wanted to speak to your husband. He came to my clinic, but then I... Couldn't see him, and there's miscommunication, but I, I know he was dealing with rapid aging, and I, I really want to talk to him to see what we could figure out. And well, just then, a cop car, well, it's, a, it's an unmarked detective's car, but you know it's a cop inside because yeah, yeah. Dan Hedaya comes out. He pulls up, and Miriam realizes, oh, shit, that motherfucker's here to talk to you about Alice's disappearance. Disappearance, you know, right. Because uh, it's 13-year-olds don't go missing without somebody noticing. Right. She takes Dr. Sarah's number and rushes her away, and the day it comes, talk to Mary, detective, the lieutenant says, okay, so Alice got, went missing. Um, the only places she went were her home, her school, and here for lessons. So um, mm-hmm. I'd like to take a look, look around, okay? And also, is your husband here? And Mary's like, ooh, this is crazy. Like, my husband, um, my husband actually went to Sweden. Yeah, he's at like a sleep, oh. he's at like a sleep clinic. Um, there he's so he's out of country, and um, sure, come on in, and um, you know, I'll let you know if you think of anything. But th- there's no evidence, like there's nothing to go on. Right. So it's sort of like right. now, Lieutenant's going to be like monitoring her, kind of not believing her bullshit, right? right. However, Miriam has started to begin her process of acquiring her new lover. So sort of her law, her sedu- seduction of Doctor Sarah begins as her next companion. Okay, great. For example, Doctor Sarah is getting ready for bed. In the house where she lives with Tom, and then suddenly Miriam appears in the bathroom mirror behind her. She whips around. Now it's just, just my imagination. I'm just imagining this beautiful woman I talked to for a couple minutes. And that night we see Miriam put on a black veil and play the piano. And Sarah starts having uneasy dreams. And like the piano playing is affecting her across like time and space. And Sarah wakes up crying. Mm. And she's saying all these little weird things. Like the next day she thinks the phone rings at the office, but no one else hears it. And finally, she goes back to Miriam's, and she's like, oh, I um, I didn't hear from you, so I thought, I don't know why I'm here. And Miriam invites mm. her in. Yes, you do. And it's like, okay, well, the uh, things are going to be popping here in a minute. And Dr. Sarah's like, oh, my God, you have all this incredible art, and there's a bust. And she's like, oh, my God, look at this. And Miriam says, well, that's a 500-year-old Florentine bust. And Dr. Sarah goes, you know, it actually looks a lot like you. Miriam's like, damn, that's crazy. Anyways, can I pour you a sherry? And, and she's like, oh, I normally don't like sherry. And Miriam's like, I think you're really going to like this. And so they're drinking sherry, and they're talking while Miriam plays piano. I don't know you at all, but I'm going to go ahead and assume you'll like this sherry that yeah. you claim you don't like. <laughs> and Dr. Sarah, you know, they're, they're sort of talking. And then Dr. Sarah takes off her blazer. So that's how you know that things are getting blazed here in a minute. Yeah. It's just like, well, now, now that I have a glass of sherry. Also, it's clearly the middle of the day, which I also right. think is super fun. Um, and uh, Miriam is playing. Oh, shit. Let me look, see if I can find the name of this um, song. Um playing this beautiful piano song and Dr. Sarah asks her about it and um, uh, she's like, oh, what is this song about? It's a love song. 
And she says, well, you know, it's uh, two women in a garden and it's a story about, you know, like being together there. And Sarah says, we well, you know it sounds like a love story. And Miriam says, well, it's two women. And I think she meant that as like, well, so what do you think about that? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. so does that seem like a love story to you? Putting that out there. And Sarah says, that, that sounds like what a love song is. And Miriam's like, well, then I guess that's what it is. And finally, Sarah calls it out. It's like, are you making a pass at me, Mrs. Blaylock? And Miriam, I don't know why. She should have said just yes, but whatever. It's not my movie. Uh, but she says, uh, you know, not, not that I'm aware of. However, so you're like, okay. I mean, like, okay. I don't know why we're pretending at this point, but whatever. Um, and she, like, she's already here drinking the sherry. The blazer's off. Like, yeah, why did you do all, why did you have what, all are, that, what was the plan here? Fucking, you know, make the move. But uh, then, of course, fortunately for the film, um, Sarah spills her sherry on her T-shirt. And thank God that she had the wherewithal to wear underneath her blazer to work a paper-thin white T-shirt with no bra on. And I was like, that is a choice <gasps> as know, a research scientist to go to work. Business casual? <laughs> um, and things are about to get real casual here in a minute. Um, so Miriam goes to get her a t-shirt to be like, oh, you can put this on and I'll wash your shirt or whatever. They don't say that, but that's the implication. And as soon as Dr. Sarah takes her shirt off, it's like, well, 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 let it, let us begin, you know? Um, so they get down to it and they're, you know, Sarah strips down and they're on their bed. And of course it's shot very gauzy because it's like, how do yes. women have sex? We're not really going to yeah. get into it. Still you know, a mystery to all of it. Yeah. But it's hot, obviously. And then after they start making out, um... Uh, you don't see her make the cut, but Miriam starts feeding on Sarah's arm, like drinking the blood out of her upper arm, oh. and then has Sarah drink out of her arm. And that is what lesbian sex is. So who knew? Who knew? That night, Sarah goes to dinner with Tom. Two thumbs down for Tom. Who could tell something is wrong. And she's like, wait, so in the middle of the day, you just went to this woman's house for three and a half hours, and I didn't know where you were? Because they work together. Don't worry about it. And, um... And then she's, of course, haunted by the sex. So she keeps, like, having, like, flashbacks of the sex they had. And also, she's watching two women swimming. One of them is nude in, like, a pool across from the restaurant. And she also has an Ankh ne necklace now that Miriam gave her. Mm. And he's like, what do you mean this woman gave you this thing? You met her for three hours? And she's like, look, her husband is really sick. He's in Sweden in a sleep clinic. She doesn't have any friends. I was just being really friendly to her. He's like, yeah, but she you know, gave you a friends. good friends. We're dear friends. And that was the friendliest that he was ever been to me, Tom. <laughs> and uh, and he, she, he's like, but she gave you a gift. And she, and she says, which I think was my favorite line. She goes, she's just that kind of woman. She's European. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is basically in the 80s a euphemism for gay. Like, it's yeah, like, for sure. you know, she's one of those European Europeans. women. And he yeah, says so to her, <laughs> Tom's like, you're acting really weird. I think you should see a doctor. It's like, okay, thanks, Tom. Thanks for your input. But Sarah says, I, I am a doctor. I don't think I'll be fine. Unfortunately, she's ravenous, but she can't eat her food. So she gets this really rare steak, but she can't eat it. She attempts to and then vomits when she gets home. So she's hungry. She can't eat. You know where this is headed. Um, she does That's how all the vampires are so thin. Oh, that, you're 100% right. That's, yeah, vampirism is the orig original Ozempic. Yes. Na vampirism, <laughs> nature's Ozempic. Nature's Ozempic. Um, but she has her lab tests her blood because she keeps having these symptoms. They say, like, there looks like, they say, and I don't know, I'm like, I don't know what this looks like. It's like, um, there's, it looks like there's another kind of blood in your veins fighting your blood for dominance. It's like, 
Yeah, that seems pretty bad then, my friend. Yeah, that's not good. Allison, she tells the team she and Tom she lies and says she's going to a blood specialist. But instead she goes to see Miriam, who's like, oh, you know what? Actually, that is my blood in your veins. Um, I drank your blood, you drank mine. Now you're Sorry. mine and I'm yours. And I've given you the gift of eternal life. But the thing is, Sarah doesn't want this. So she fucking freaks yeah. out and is like, this is horrifying. And she leaves. And Miriam calls I would down. Not want that. I wouldn't either. She calls down. She says, You'll be back. When the hunger hurts so much, you've lost all reason. Then you have to feed. And then you need me to show you how. Oh, no. Allison, who will survive? Who will survive? Oof. I think Sarah and Miriam will both live, but no one else. I want to say that the movie ends with them in an eternal relationship in the way that she was with David Bowie at the beginning mm-hmm. of the film. Okay. And that everybody else in their orbit is dead. That stands to reason. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Um, unfortunately, uh, Sarah needs the answers to how she's going to deal with this hunger sooner rather than later. You yes. know, she leaves, she makes a phone call, she's trying to find Tom, but she pretty soon starts, she staggers back to Miriam's brownstone. And we see Miriam uh, pick up a, and it's sort of the analogy here is, of course, drug use. You know, like, <laughs> uh, we see Sarah start to break down, she's shaking, uh, Miriam yeah. puts Sarah in her bed, and she's all curled up. Um, and Miriam goes and picks up, I thought she picked up a male sex worker, and then I'm not exactly sure, but she brings a man back to the house, slits his throat, and then calls down for Sarah, who's so sick she can barely get out of bed, calls for her to come down. And Sarah okay. makes it out to the railing and looks down, and Miriam's already feeding on him. So Miriam's calling to her with blood in her mouth. Before Sarah can drink the blood, Tom rings the doorbell. And Miriam's like, okay, great. And he, call, he says, uh, um, I, I'm looking for Sarah. She said she was seeing a blood specialist, but then I called the doctor and she wasn't there. Um, do you know where she is? And Miriam buzzes her in and says, yeah, she's upstairs. He's like, oh. Oh. Okay. Hmm. But she tells him, I'd be careful because she's not well. And the problem is that Tom does find Sarah and she's very unwell and she's on the floor of the the bedroom. Unfortunately for him, Tom has got some hot, thick blood coursing through those veins. Yeah. Yeah. And Sarah, he he sort of, she fights him at first and he grabs her. He's like, it's going to be okay. I'm going to take you out of here. But unfortunately, now she's right up against that big, fat, delicious neck of his. Yeah. So she's just coursing with blood. And she pulls off her onk, and she takes out the dagger, and she stabs Tom in the neck with it. And downstairs, Miriam plays piano, and you just hear, like, thuds as, like, Tom, like, you know, his death throes. 
And she plays. That's fun. And finally, a blood-soaked Sarah who looks so much better. She's like, oh my God. Fine. I just need life in here. And she comes down and she's, Miriam tells her, you're part of me now. And from this moment forward, you will never grow old. You will live forever. Which is technically not true. Like, yes, you will live forever, but you will grow why, old. Why is she couching the, like, will she grow old? Like, well, so it feels. The implication is that no. And there is a shot of her, because we see, like, um, her meeting John in the 18th century France. But then there's a shot of her in what appears to be e- ancient Egypt, which is problematic because she's white. But my yeah. the implication I took is that she is the originator. Like she can make okay, vampires, so, but she is some sort of entity that is timeless yes. or something. And every and all the other vampires are kind of like okay, yeah, can die or can, not can die, but will age, and, but she won't. And the reason she doesn't tell them is because she doesn't want to be alone. Oh, That's it. That makes me sad. Like, if she would be honest, no one would agree to this. It's like, yep. Right, who would possibly agree to that? And so they kiss, but during their kiss, Sarah is a vampire now, obviously, but she still had the objection that I guess John didn't have. So during their kiss, Sarah reaches up and grabs Miriam's onk and pulls the dagger out, and Sarah stabs herself in the own in her own neck. Oh. Which then causes what I would say a... Sort of a, we you knock over a domino, there's a domino effect. Because yeah. as soon as that happened, I'm like, wait a minute, so then what? Like, I was like, okay, so you can't, and so she's, Miriam runs to stop the bleeding. Okay. She's like, please stay with me, please stay with me. Because then I'm like, can you take a vampire to the hospital? Like, how would you solve this? Right. But Sarah says, I can't. And it's basically like, I refuse to do this, and pulls Miriam's hands off her neck. And the way that Miriam reacts, I think we're to think Sarah is bleeding, quote unquote, to death. But it's a kind mm-hmm. of death like the vampires had in the, in the attic. So basically her body will become incapacitated, but she, some part of her will still be alive. Right. Which sounds horrible. That sounds terrible. But Miriam sobbing takes her up to the attic and lays her body down. And I don't know why this happens. I'm going to be honest. I, 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 and I'm going to accept, if I, if I misunderstood something, that's fine. All of... Uh, suddenly, like, there's, like, a tremendous shaking in the room, and all of Miriam's old past loves start to rise up from their coffins, including John, and they mm. start descending on her while she screams. I don't know why that happens. Hmm. I don't know what—, what it, Do you I, think that—do you think that's what happens when one—when someone inflicts, like, because Sarah— tried to kill herself, that it, like, awakened all of them? I was thinking that, or it was because she's bleeding, so her blood, like, they still want to feed. But it's not clear. But, But, like, there's been other blood around. Well, But it's her blood in particular that's making this happen. Yes. So I guess maybe it's, like, because it's a vampire's blood? I I don't, at at the end of the day, and there's so many pigeons and doves flying around. Like, it is. Yuck. It, there is, like, as uh, Miriam starts I'd rather to, there be blood around than, like, a ton of birds. Would you rather someone throw a bucket of blood at you or, like, mm, okay. five birds? Well, five birds. Ten yeah. birds. I think the birds still, like, I get, like, I'm a little put off by getting wet in that. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh, but the birds, like, birds carry disease. I guess blood also probably carries disease. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to pick. It's a no win, really. 
I'm gonna get. I'm gonna guess uh, birds. I'm gonna say birds because I'm gonna say birds up until a certain like. There does become a point a hundred, where it's like what if it was a hundred birds? birds swarming around you. I'd rather somebody just throw a bucket of blood. Yeah, on you. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, so uh, all of them rise up and descend on her. And I mean, there are like twenty birds minimum in this room, and they're all screaming. Yeah. And all of them look like wizen mummies, right? And she and they grab mm-hmm. Mary, and she screams, "No, no, no!" And she wrenches herself free. Birds fly in her face as she runs down the uh, this uh, hallway. And John grabs her and kisses her with his old bog mummy mouth. And she pulls back and screams. And when she does, she falls from the balcony and plummets all the floors of their gorgeous brownstone and slams on the ground. And then I was like, okay, so now her body will die. Like, she'll she'll be like them, you know? But which happens, but then also she begins to age rapidly. And so all, mm. and then as she does, as she starts to, as her body starts to die, I guess she ages rapidly. So she becomes to be a mummy and then her old lovers start to collapse. So I guess as she enters this mummified part or her. Maybe they th- finally die. At the end of this, no. Miriam now looks like them. Miriam looks like full crib keeper. Yes. In the morning, someone knocks on the door. It's Dan Hadea, the lieutenant again. <laughs> and instead of uh, either the Blaylocks, it's the, a real estate agent that opens the door. He says, oh, I'm sorry. The Blaylocks don't live here anymore. The mar- this house, actually, I'm in charge of selling it, but it's through a law law firm. I don't really know in the, anyone's name. It came out of the market unexpectedly, and the proceeds of the sale are supposed to go to some sort of clinic, probably to buy new homicidal monkeys, if I had to assume. Anyway, a sale's a sale. I'm a real estate agent, and I don't ask any question about what I could only imagine was a big old mess <laughs> that we found here. So the detective walks through the house, as the real estate agent excuses himself to go talk to this couple who's hopefully going to buy this place. And he finds the Polaroid taken by Alice of the Trash and realizes, of course, he was never going to solve this. If they're gone, all this evidence is gone. Yeah. Somewhere else, I don't know if it's supposed to be... uh, Let me look it up. Where is it? Okay, now in London. So in London, there's this beautiful room, uh, this beautiful man uh, and woman. They kiss... And then the woman goes to the third person standing at the window, and it's Sarah. And she's alive, and she looks better than ever, baby. And she and the other woman kiss. How did? And we see in storage the coffin. So she took the coffins of the other lovers. Ugh, God, I mean, imagine shipping all of that. And inside from the coffin that we focus on, we hear Miriam's voice call, Sarah? Sarah? The end, Allison. So, I don't know. I guess, like, I I guess, like, I think it all kind of works for me except for Sarah. Like, is it because Sarah drank her blood? But, like, they all drank her blood to become vampires. Was it because she... Right. Was it because she she just became a vampire, Sarah? Or was it just because she just had her first feed? I don't know, Allison. I don't, I genuinely don't know. Because I was like, okay, so she stabs herself. But the way Miriam reacts, it's like Miriam knows that that would center into the the deathless death state. I don't know. Maybe drawing your own blood is some kind of like role reversal with whoever you're with. But then also. But it's like all this, like it's like been her the whole time and now suddenly it's Sarah. But I guess we don't know if she's in more. Well, then, yeah, like if she lived, mm-hmm. 
why like, why would Miriam have that reaction? Like, there was nothing between that I understood between Miriam being like, "Oh my God, you're de- you're deathlessly dead," and then mm-hmm. Sarah being fine at the end. I don't understand. Yeah, that's that's the leap I'm not able to follow. Right, like, okay, sure. Like, if she she fell and she's grievously injured, Miriam rather, like, okay, maybe she turns into a mummy. Her old lovers, they were all connected to her. They all turned to dust. But the, yeah. the Sarah part of it, I can't, I don't know. Of it. But if I you am know glad she's the answer, write in and tell us. You know what it probably is? It honestly got probably is like, oh, it tested better with Sarah living or something. Like, there there may yeah, not yeah, be yeah. an right, intuitive yeah, yeah. Uh, or like a, a logic. logic. It might just be like, oh, pe- Susan Sarand is hot right now and maybe we'll do a yeah. sequel. And, um, yeah. you know, we, we there's no reason that we just, we thought it'd be like a sexy end. And then she's with a yeah. man and a woman because bisexuals shouldn't have to choose. And I completely agree with that. Absolutely. I agree with this ending. Um, uh, what are some fatal mistakes you think people have made um, in the film The Hunger? Fatal mistakes. I mean, I think indulging in that midday sherry really ended up... I mean, I guess it kind of worked out for Susan Sarandon, but not really, because yeah. she probably has a terrible, you know, fate ahead of her. But, you know, going over there and... If she hadn't gone over there, she wouldn't have gotten all mixed up in all of this. Yeah. That's, I feel like that's a good way to put every horror movie. It's like, boy, they hadn't gotten over there. They would have got all mixed up in that. <laughs> um, but you're absolutely right. Um, uh, I think Miriam's mistake was not being upfront with her lovers. You have to yeah. be honest. You have to be candid. Yeah. You know, we, we cannot just presume that they're going to be okay with becoming un, undead mummies in your attic. No. No. I mean, that's why she, you know, hid that truth. So we know why she did it, but it was a bad idea. And, um, but you know, we understand it because don't we all, don't we all want love and don't we all have our exes in coffins in the attic of ourselves? Yes. Desiccating, but But still still alive. Still calling her names. Oh my God. Well, on that note, how spooky, where where on the spooky scale would you uh, put the hugger, Allison? A spooky scale. This feels like a six. Okay. I think, you know, it's a lot of blood. And the, you know, withered, desiccated corpses. I don't, I don't want to see that. And I think the horror of being alive forever. Yeah, that is tough. Like, existentially, that one's a tough one to swallow. I agree. I'm going to give this a three. Because I mm. think it's very, like, romantic and atmospheric and interesting and beautifully yes. shot. And also not that scary. So I will say yeah. that is a scary concept. But then, like, once you got a monkey in there. Not in execution as much as, yeah, yeah, in theory. But I really did enjoy it. And it's one of those movies where I had never a seen. People talk about it constantly. I had never seen it. Really enjoyed it. Terrific. Um, and, again, we stand in solidarity with all bisexuals. And I will Always. say as a queer person, and I could say myself a lesbian, but, but underneath, foundationally underneath that, I am a queer person. Queer, yeah. Um, we need the numbers. Right, so if you're like, yeah. I don't know if I should come out by as bisexual, you know, maybe you're in a relationship, yeah. a, a heterosexual relationship. You're like, I don't know if that's my place. Come out, come out, because we need the numbers. Okay, yes. Any kind of queer you are, please come out. If only if you feel comfortable and you can, obviously, you know what I mean. I'm not telling you yeah, you have to do it. Feel safe and yeah, absolutely, but. just do it, and you're gonna feel a lot better if if you have the opportunity to. Even if you're not gonna act on it, 
Um, I, I think like there is the, the the level of well, first of all, you should, and, and it's your life, so you do whatever you want. Yeah. But there is a level of um, like relaxation and a relief that is that comes from accepting yourself that 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 is like preclude like it pre- precedes having sex entirely. Like it, the yeah. sex is is great, some of the best sex we have out here, but um, you know it it does not. That's not what the, it is. That's not, like, what yeah. it'll give you. It'll give you so much more. I'm going to cry. If you can. If you can't come out. And if you can't, well, we just have to change the world. Yes. And we yes. were going to do that anyway, so it all works out. And we love you either way. Yeah. Whether you can or you can. Um, and we love you so much, and thank you for listening. And yes. baby, we'll be back at it next week. We'll be back at it. Not going to stop. Never going to stop. Simply can't. Contractually can't stop. Yes. Obligated. To I'm legally obligated stop. to not stop. Um, <gasps> and until next time, we love you very much. Yes. And happy and, pride. Um, happy pride. And, and keep it keep it spooky. spooky. Don't forget to follow us at Ruin Podcast and Crooked Media for show updates. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Ruined is a Radio Point and Crooked Media production. We're your writers and hosts, Hallie Kiefer and Allison Leiby. The show is executive produced by Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder, and recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. From Crooked Media, our executive producer is Kendra James, with production and promotional support from Ari Schwartz, Kyle Sieglin, Julia Beach, Caroline Dumphy, and Awa Okolati. Mm-hmm.